0: This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. Consider becoming a Drama Victoria member today and take advantage of the many member benefits. We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. We record on the land of the Bunurong people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are joined by Jess Kapolczynski-Evans. She is going to be talking to us about her work as a disability activist, her work as an artist and talk about her process as an artist working with a disability. Without any further ado, I bring you Jess Kapolczynski-Evans. Welcome to the podcast, Jess.
1: Hi. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so much for giving us your time today.
1: Yeah, no worries.
0: So you are an artist and an activist. Can you tell us about your work?
1: Yeah, so I, um, I uh, because this is an audio format, you can't see, but I'm a smallish woman in a large wheelchair um, and I, These days, when I do public gigs, I describe myself as quad and anxious in my bio. Um, And so I bring that perspective, um, plus a love of um, explosions and dragons um, to most of the work that I do um, and appropriating stuff by white men. That's that's my day to day.
0: Uh. Dragons, explosions, and appropriation. I see. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: and and as a in the in the world of theatre and creativity and artistry, you're a you're a musician and, and performer. You're a, a writer. What are the what are the different mediums that you use as a creative?
1: Yeah, so I um my arts company is the Waiting Room Arts Company, which is multidisciplinary. With- can talk about that later, and then I sing with a band, the Bear Brass Asylum Orchestra, which is um, very recently uh, all women and all disabled folk. Um, and I, um, I sort of uh, I did some activism when I was a student. I set up um, a, a disability sort of subsection to assist students with disabilities in the union, um, kind of where they couldn't get assistance from the university proper. Um, And then I had a little break from activism and now I'm sort of um, trying to get my way back into, um, I guess my things that I'm excited about are um, accessible, but also more public transport um, and sort of intersections around environment and disability. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Um, you mentioned it just before, your your company is called The Waiting Room. What yeah. kind of projects do you develop?
1: Um, so it was basically me going, um, these are all the things that I don't like about uh, contemporary indie arts land. And also, these are the things that are missing within disability spaces and trying to gradually um, work my way through some of that. So um, the first thing is that we are a commissioning company. So um, we are always on the lookout for emerging artists with disabilities, especially, Um, so people who are either aged roughly 18 to 30 or people who have no more than five years experience um in being an artist in the real world um uh because i i wanted uh um an obi one when i was that age and i didn't really have one um so yeah i uh and 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 i also just wanted you know i wish i had other people at a similar career stage to me, kind of working through the stuff that I was. Um, and then, so I guess we commissioned because um, casting um, actors with disabilities, whilst it is important for me, that's only one uh, kind of part of um, making access and inclusion um better um for me it's really about about at the level of you know the story or um if it's visual art you know it might be that the the lead artist in an exhibition has a disability or the curator has a disability Um, so it can kind of take a few different forms but that's essentially the intervention and then the third one was me sort of realizing that A lot of disability spaces were not inclusive of other marginalized communities, so you know. um, A lot of if if there was a general call out. um, Typically, most of the people who would come would be white. um, Would be. um, Eurotrash like me. um, Would be um cisgender straight um and yeah all the stuff um so yeah so i guess um that's those are the kind of principles that i try to work from with all my work um uh but in practice it's partly then also what am i drawn to you know who's actually around and available Uh, (laughs) It's one of the lessons I've learned. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) uh, You know, and and many, many things. Yeah. Um, And then Bear Brass Asylum Orchestra is um, basically the other two thirds of the band. They're women who have been working um, in academia and music therapy, um, but also as musicians for a long time. in in different capacities, but I guess, um, yeah, we're sort of um, one of few um, music outfits that plays music that I would actually want to listen to um, that has a disability because there are, I should preface this whole chat by saying that there are a truckload of disabled artists in Melbourne, so it's not that I'm actually doing anything particularly unique. It's um, really more about me going, well, these are the things that I wanted to see growing up, like, and this is because I imagine most of the people um, listening to your podcast are teachers. So, yeah, these are the Absolutely. things.
0: I, yeah, teachers and um, students, yeah.
1: But I would have wanted when I was a teen um, in a mainstream school um, music class or drama class or whatever, um, and they weren't there, so...
0: Yeah. yeah, well, maybe that will help us lead into one of the questions I was going to ask a little bit later, but we could jump into it straight away and come back to the others. Yeah. So if if the teachers and students are listening to you now, um, what was your school drama experience like? What was it like doing drama at school?
1: Um, so I kind of like to tell everybody that um, I became an independent artist to spite most of my arts teachers at school.
0: Um, Oh, I see. I see.
1: um, I feel like, um, had I been reliant on them to teach me stuff, I wouldn't have done anything. Um, that actually a lot of my learning was self learning or, you know, I got lucky, for example, with my singing where, Um, I just happened to find a music teacher who was um, kind of able to understand my particular disability and work out how to do singing, you know, from that, um, you know, in a way that was engaging, but also not harmful for my body and all that sort of stuff. Um, so because
0: yeah, I imagine there are quite a few things to, to for you to be considering when you're in the drama classroom is that do you think what, what happened that people so, were so afraid they left you to your own devices uh, even... a
1: little bit so I my memory of um, school drama was mostly that um, if there was some sort of casting thing what usually happened was that, the teacher would put someone in charge and they would pick their friends. And of course I had no friends. So, um, <laughs> and then also I think um, people, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a genius either. So um, it's not necessarily that had I been a walking person, I would have gotten all the leads and stuff in high school anyways. But um, I do think... Drama teachers were uh, scared by the challenges of having a token disabled student in their class, or obviously disabled, to put it that way, um, rather than the creative possibilities of that, I suppose. Um, so, um, and then also just you know the when we had to study other texts or you know whatever um none of the characters were me um and even i have this very vivid memory um i did um extracurricular drama classes as well um and they did richard the third and i thought i was um, certainly going to get that part because no one else had a disability um, and they gave it to um, this young attractive non-disabled boy um, <laughs> and so that was my first kind of lesson in in you know what to expect from um, the the arts industry at large I think. Um, uh, But, um, yeah, so, so none of the characters were like me or, you know, even like, I think I still would have related to someone who was blind or, you know, like, uh, I think, um,
0: some kind of physical adversity that
1: they've faced or, um, you know, there wasn't, um, discussion of mental illness, even though, you know, most we know that mental illness, if it's going to present, starts to present in teenagers, um, you know, and none of the texts from memory that we studied, um, apart from Macbeth, if that's how you choose to swing it, um, had a mental illness and, or, or, you know, it just wasn't talked about in any kind of depth or, you know. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I'm not sure that there's a huge proportion of classes of drama classes out there that include it in, in their curriculum that make that you know a vital showing. There's obviously a huge push at the moment. Obviously, has been for decades, but a huge shift when it comes to teaching First Nations content and concepts, and moving away from the um, the dead white men, uh, which is a phrase we're hearing more and more and more in the in the drama ne- in the drama network, um, and. There's been a, a few shows and a few great examples, I think, of, of, of companies that um, uh, uh, that used uh, as disabled actors in you know and creatives. But you're right, it, it's certainly not getting that push that, that we need.
1: And I, I think um, you know, I do like my share of dead white men. Don't get me wrong, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just know um, what I would have wanted. So you know, my school was fairly progressive, but still, you know, a mainstream public school. Um, and then even, so I did um, VCE drama at uh, McGrob, because um, I, I wanted to go to McGrob for a range of reasons, but, um, you know, even even there where there was a more solid drama program, um, yeah, the, j- disability kind of didn't register. Um, but i was also lucky that we had an amazing teacher who um yeah just was really excited by the possibilities of what i could do as an actor who happened to use a wheelchair full time um yeah so that
0: and that's great and you obviously had the passion there as well which is really surprising to me because it's it's often you hear teachers, you know, drama teachers specific, specifically saying, oh, this amazingly passionate drama student that we just spent, you know, hours working on this and developing this and, and working on their skills. It's such a shame that you fell through the cracks in that way or ignored in that way or were, or were um, the, the challenges of putting you in, in the play or having you contributing in the class were that bar was too high, obviously, in that instance. And I can imagine why that spurned you on to, or spurred you on, I should say, to, to spurn them.
1: Yeah um yeah
0: so great well since then since you've uh, learned those lessons and developed your techniques what is your process as a theater maker um
1: so I um I run my theater stuff a certain way and then I I think I I run my other artistic output in kind of much the same way so I often like to start with uh, I, I the the joke I make to everyone is that I'm not terribly original. So I like to start with uh, somebody else's stuff. Um, whether it's a um, an image or because I'm, I think I'm a very visual person, even though what I do is mostly write words. Um, uh, and, or I will start with um you know a particular favorite um song a poem whatever um that um is somehow linked to the thing i'm trying to make um and then hmm, i guess i i probably tend to do a fairly standard um process after that in terms of you know if it's a sort of naturalistic um play then i will do well world building and you know character and all that sort of stuff and then similarly like uh, when i when i write poetry i will you know if i have an idea for what i think i want to write i'll usually go and check um because uh I'm not, and, uh, I don't write poetry full time, but, you know, so I might go and check, oh, what's this form of poem where it sounds like this or, you know, whatever, um, <laughs> you know, so, um, so that kind of thing. And then I'll obviously do like, now I'm up to God knows how many drafts of, um, <laughs> my, one of my plays at the moment, but, um, I do basically as many drafts as is needed, and that's partly determined by me, but partly determined by like, um, I always show draft things to at least one other person. um, And I show them to either someone who's actually working with me, so like in the band, the other band members, or on a play, I'll show it to the director or whoever. But then I equally find it, um, I didn't realise this was a consistent part of my process uh, until not that long ago, but I find it helpful to show someone who's not connected with the project and who is never going to be. Um, So our mutual friend Danny got subjected to my play the other day as well. Um (laughs) Yes,
0: Danny Horansky, great friend of the of the aside.
1: um yeah so and then yeah and then at some point one hopes that it's finished and you hope that you get an arts grant and you can put a team together and you stage it basically
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely that's what and and i think this question was maybe aimed to to help frame the idea that, that the artistic process is the artistic process that um regardless of let's say able-bodied or disabled-bodied or it's it's the 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 process is the process and I think that even links to that last question that we that we asked about the school experience that we don't have to be afraid to to engage all types of people in in what is a process and what is an engaging creative thing that we all have our own way of doing it but in, in the end it's still about that that researching that developing that brainstorming that that writing and trialing and get and refining and getting feedback would you say there's any part of your process that, that is obviously unique because you're, you're a unique person, but that is affected in any way by, by the fact that you're in a wheelchair?
1: Um, like everything is informed by my disability and the fact that I. Um, so in year ten, um, when a lot of the kids did work experience at Baker's Delight or something, um some bright sparks said, oh Jess should go to a disability organization. Um and that was forced on me, but actually it began what I now feel was like literally what saved my life, um, of being connected to other disabled folk um who had, you know, similar experiences, right? Um, you know, not not all of these people that I came across during my teens and early twenties were um, artsy types, but it just, yeah, it was enough to be like, oh, this is a a community, I guess. Um, and sorry, I've probably gone off topic, but um, that's okay.
0: No, it's really interesting. It inspired another question, uh, but keep going, please.
1: Uh, remind me what the question was. <laughs>
0: No, it was just about your, it was anything about your creative process that is affected um, by your disability. And you've you've spoken a little bit about that.
1: So one of the things is that um, I, I'm what I call a fatigue chicken as well. Um, So by that, I mean, I don't have the diagnosis of chronic fatigue, but um, various aspects of my disability means that I spend a lot of time unwell or asleep <laughs> and so you know um, I think dead is this notion that in order to be a successful artist you have to spend you know 10 hours every day working non-stop on writing or rehearsing or you know whatever it might be that um, quantity actually doesn't produce quality I think is, is really important for, for every person, um, not just for disabled people. So, so um, so I try to set myself targets. So today I'm going to write two scenes, um, or I'm going to look at this character that I'm not sure what it's doing, you know? Um, so stuff like that, um, I think I also, um, Yeah, so at the beginning I spoke about explosions and dragons. So um, one of the things that uh, tickles me is kind of bringing um, things from, I suppose, novels and films to the stage, but more not in a literal sort of adaptation of a particular film or novel, but rather like... Bringing some of these genres and tropes, and you know what, what does it do if you put it um, live on a stage, and then also um, what happens if you make, you know, this character from Harry Potter someone who's autistic or someone who's a wheelchair user or whatever? Um, so those are the those are the kinds of things that I like to write, but equally. um, So what I said earlier about, you know, there being no disabled texts taught, I'm equally interested in um, whose stories are not being told and and why. So, you know, um, one thing that I am excited about in my sort of future um, work is perhaps finding you know someone's novel that nobody knows about that's really great and adapting it into a play or someone's biography um, you know of a person who just had a really interesting life and adapting that for the stage um, yeah so so it's sort of a mixture of things um, and 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 I think I apply that same, Process to, um, to like when I when I do sort of multidisciplinary things as well. Um, so um, the the waiting room arts company we had a successful show um, amidst all the lockdowns and stuff. Um, it was a an, uh, an online performance plus paper zine that went together um and it was called spaced and spaced was basically about the intersection between um deaf identities disabled identities and um people's identities who have a psychosocial disability um so things yeah so people's experiences of you know anxiety depression any number of things um uh, because that's one of the gaps that I saw um, in in disability spaces. You know, something like that is a bit more niche and then I might go really broad, um, you know, and do a photography exhibition about sex or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like,
0: anything that tickles your fancy or anything that you're interested in.
1: Yeah. That um, your
0: work isn't always about um, people with a disability.
1: It can be
0: about, it's very broad. I'm just highlighting that that's not, not what your work is about necessarily.
1: Um, no, I think all my work, I try to have at least one disability connection. Um, and in fact, when I tried to write a short story just for my own blah, um, without the, the idea of having it published, when I tried to write something without a character with a disability. Um, they still ended. They still wound wound up being a character with disability in it. It's just that he said two words, and that was it. Um, we so,
0: well, I mean, disabled people uh, um, are part of, are, are very much part of the rich tapestry of our culture and community. To to, to write them to write a story without someone with a disability would, would almost be have to be intentional at this stage.
1: Well, I think it's more that. Um, so the thing that. Um, people often get struck by is the fact that um. Now I'm not a good cripple here, and I forget my statistics, but it's something like one in four people have a psychosocial disability slash mental illness, or and then one in five have some kind of other disability. Um, and and this is people who have with we think that those stats come from people who um are not disabled because of aging but actually just amongst the general population uh i mean aging is a a separate but very much related kind of thing as well but that's another episode uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. i agree um, but so actually more for me it's been about relearning what i thought i knew about disability, Um, you know, and I I have a disability. So for me to have to relearn it, like I can only imagine the process for somebody who hasn't had that experience to learn it, you know, Um, but um, like, you know, even things like it was really surprising to learn that I think Byron had some kind of medical thing right um so actually that you know all these people that we think of as just dead white guys um you know
0: they, if, they have a rich story as well they have yeah. they have details to that. and things perhaps from back then i'm talking totally um ignorantly here probably things from their past that they may have kept secret or didn't know or weren't publicizing or wasn't yeah, something that's or, in the general consciousness
1: you know or or might have only been discovered at once they died like you know oh yeah exactly
0: yeah, yeah. That things a, that we didn't even know existed at that time or
1: um and then you know um, one of my favorite ones is like when when someone's a bit odd you know um people like to um diagnose onto them and be like oh well you can see in this poem here therefore they must be autistic or they must have bipolar or something um and it could be that they had some sort of neurodivergent thing going on, or it could be just that that was how they liked to write yeah. and that actually we're reading stuff that isn't there, so. Um, yeah.
0: Depends who their muse was at the time, perhaps, as well.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, great. So. I mean, we're getting deeper and deeper into this, which is which is fabulous for me, because as you said, you know, you'd love to speak to someone who has really no idea about this topic. And hey, you're speaking to me right now. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't know a great deal in this area. And I spoke recently to Cecily Stovall. I've spoken to her a few times about inclusion and diversity. Um, there's actually a few episodes on this site about that um what does that look like for disabled actors and creatives you know how do we as teachers especially in educational setting you know how do we cast authentically when working with disabled characters to what extent in an educational setting can students play a disabled character like thinking of the glass menagerie which is a play that um lots of schools like to put on and there's obviously many others do you have any feelings or thoughts about that yeah look i
1: think so i was i was thinking about this so um because, you know, what would I do, or what would I advise um, a teacher with no experience of disability about something like Richard III, which is kind of a, a text that's close to my heart, um, which was never on the school curriculum, but, you know, what, what would I do if it came up? So I think, for me, it's about, I think there are enough non-disabled characters in the world that actually we're at a point now where we we don't need to and we should be discouraging I think um uh non-disabled actors from playing what is clearly meant to be a disabled character that said there are some juicy grey areas um and I think That if you asked another disabled person, they'd have a completely different opinion about this same topic. But for example, um, you know, if we're talking neurodivergent stuff, um, you know, especially if it's something very nondescript like depression or anxiety. And I say that as nondescript in the sense of like, so when we come back to Macbeth, you know, we could, as directors, as actors, whatever, choose to play that character technically any way we like. So, yes, the the, the writing leads us to say the lines in a certain way, but technically we, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily know what the psyche of that character is is the first thing, uh, or is the first provocation, I suppose. Um, and then also, you know, unlike uh, quadriplegia, um, anxiety, depression, or those feelings, even if not um, to, to sort of clinical levels, are things that actually a lot of humans experience at one time or another in their life. Um, so I think that there's room there's wiggle room and then I was also thinking as a provocation so I I should um, de- declare my cards here and say that I was a, a drama student not a theater studies student um, <laughs> so naturally I, I I sort of feel that that the the drama program is much easier to diversify I suppose
0: yeah you're absolutely right
1: because theater studies you're you're required to perform a monologue that has already been written, which has certain conventions around it. So, but I think what I would also, my, my provocation around that is, well, um, what, uh, is there a way that you can do Richard III and have him be a character who isn't disabled? But find another motive or find another um, way into this person, I should say, because like, you know, it happened
0: this year with Cyrano de Bergerac where it was inspired by the um, the recent production where Cyrano didn't even have a large nose. It was just all about his insecurities. I'm not going to pretend that's exactly the same, but I'm hearing what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, or... Is it, you know, I think that we're actually at a point in human history where it's not that we don't read Richard Third ever again, or that it's only read by companies with a disability focus, but I do think I do think we're at a point where, especially for a, a school classroom or a year 12 exam, which are highly stressful situations for everybody. Like, <laughs> um, I, I should preface this by saying I'm a bit prejudiced and have no desire to teach teenagers because um, they scare the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, we are able to choose texts that avoid this problem altogether. Um, and that's quite radical. Not many people will like me saying that. But I feel like we are at a point in, you know, history and our our sort of relationships with disabled folk that this is the intervention that needs to happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's uh and that, that is interesting because we're talking about that in relation to you know lots of uh, conversations around First Nations content and concepts, the idea that we explore these texts and we talk about them and we study them and we read them. But if we don't have First Nations identified people in the class, then perhaps we don't perform them. And we certainly don't perform them for money. And we certainly don't um, uh, ask young people to play First Nations characters. So is that kind of in a, in a similar vein or am I putting words in your mouth there?
1: No, I think I think that's, I think that's heading down down the right track yeah yeah Um, I would say that like so there's always of course um, conservative Crips who uh, you know like there was a famous thing where I think it was the Stephen Hawking biopic uh, and Stephen Hawking came out and was like you know I support the film I really liked the guy who played me blah 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 um, you know and stuff like that so that this is just my opinion right
0: no absolutely and the and the opposite happened I think when Brian Cranston played some um, a character in a wheelchair based on that French film um, that name escapes me right now but um, there was certainly some pushback when when that happened with a, a number of uh, disabled actors that could have taken that role yeah
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and, and a lot
0: of celebration, I think, with the new Helen Keller biopic where um, a deaf act- actress was selected to play that role.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, there are
0: conversations happening. And I, and I can't remember the film by that Australian singer, um, Sia, yeah, Sia recently had a film with a, a young autistic character and that was played by someone without autism and there was pushback on that. So there is conversations happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. and And conversation is what's most important. The worst thing... That can happen is for us to go back to pretending that folks with disabilities don't exist. <laughs> so, um, you know, because uh, I think we already have, and I should say that, you know, we're talking about drama education, right? You know, we're talking about it in a context where society still wants to get rid of disabled people, either by curing what is, supposedly broken or doing prenatal screening and abortion like and by the way i'm pro-abortion in every you know sense of the word it's it's an ongoing separate episode for me Uh, you know um and and through i suppose prevention for lack of a better word yes um, but,
0: but the idea that if that a family that wants a child is ready to have a child is, is keen yeah. to have a child would could then be discouraged if if i'm understanding the, the the nuance there
1: yeah um and and you know we're talking about um a society so even in australia where there are lots well comparatively there you know are some good things in place for some disabled people It's still true that a lot of folks with disabilities either don't finish school or are sent to a special school which doesn't give them the tools to then, you know, gain meaningful employment or further study or all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of, in a way, not surprising that then drama teachers are like, well, I don't know, you know. um well
0: absolutely so... I, I i hear where you're coming from I'm, I'm living that experience i totally you know we yeah. aren't exposed to it the students aren't in the class we don't you know we don't know what we don't know we don't see what we don't know we also don't think about what we don't see and then we end up having this giant chasm
1: yeah yeah, um...
0: absolutely uh you, you spoke just just then about the idea of. Uh, Preparing people with disability for life, and you spoke about the difference between the the baker's delight um, example from school, and then you you got to work with a um, a business that worked with disability in dis, in in their field of disability. I was wondering about about that, and that kind of speaks to that conversation about authenticity. Would would you have loved the opportunity to to not be pigeonholed into this disability? Uh, business or would you like to have had the opportunity not to have done that like there seems to be an interesting balance there like do you do you provide a a different opportunity or the same opportunity or, or or a targeted opportunity or I guess they could have just asked you that could have been the answer
1: yeah well that but I mean I think um it's it's a very sliding doors moment because um I possibly then and now, didn't really want to work at Baker's Delight either.
0: Um, uh, yes, but, I understand.
1: And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure that the reason that half the kids went to places like that was because it was free labour for Baker's Delight. Uh, so, um, but I think, um, I think the fewer disabled people have to sort of, actively seek out their own people um the better you know however that takes place so whether it's that um baby jess read a book in class or whether she was you know um sent to a disability organization or like i think there are multiple pathways into your own community if you you know if you go to a school where you are one of you know, very few or the only, you know, disabled student, right. So I think it's more that um, that that pathway into community needs to be made available. And I should say as well that like, you know, not everyone who has a, a medical diagnosis actually wants to be part of the disability community for, for various understandable reasons. Um, but it's more just that I think, um, there's still a lot of, um, from disabled people, there's a lot of policing about who gets to be in our community. And then from non-disabled people, there's a lot of, um, just kind of letting us fend for this ourselves. And kind of hoping that will turn out all right, um, <laughs> and and then wondering why that approach doesn't really work, um, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing you. I certainly don't have that lived experience, but I can understand wh- why that happens. That 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 once again that that absence, that hole, that gulf that's left by by lack of attention. Yeah. Um, Uh, well you talked a little bit about if you had studied these these plays and I know you don't have necessarily a lot of time with us left so I'm wondering how important is choosing to explore stories with with a disability connection important in the drama classroom or or in any classroom I guess
1: yeah I, I mean that's so that's where I feel it's very important because um so given that we are so someone once referred to the disability community as the largest minority in Australia (laughs) and so that may or may not be true but it's a nice way of thinking about it Um, so you know at some point in your life chances are you even if you are not disabled yourself you will come across someone who has a thing or your kid will be born with a thing um, or your parent you know, like there's just a myriad ways that it's almost like you can try to avoid us if you really, really want to, but at some point you will come across one of us and you will have to interact with us whether you want to or not. So you might as well be prepared and you might discover some really like weird and wonderful uh, perspectives on life I guess that that you wouldn't have otherwise yeah
0: hey, I, I mean it's the same for any story that you want to or any community that you want to develop or stories that you want to tell and share is that that the rich diversity of stories and perspectives and lived experiences and sharing those um, that can that can build all kinds of wonderful connections and, and help you in your life. So why someone would avoid or or think of not choosing that. And I think it's a great opportunity to say, you know, consider in your classroom and consider the, the community that we have and, and the kind of culture that we want to create and including those stories is really important. Great. Well, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation for me. I'm loving hearing um, your perspective on this and has already shifted the way I think about to select texts and all kinds of things, and it, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an old dog, so it takes me a while to change, and I think these all these conversations I've been having recently have been amazingly helpful to me. Is there anything you would like to to add? I'll, I'll give you the, the last word on this episode.
1: Oh, um, well, I think I uh, I'm not sure if I said this was text or not, but so um, yeah, the the drama solo, like if you're a a freshy teacher and you want to teach some disability content, but you're not sure where to start, Um, ask Uncle Google and chances are there will be a poet or a visual artist or a novel or a play with a disability connection. Um, So, yes, aim for that. Go
0: out and do that, (laughs) fabulous. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Jess Kaposzynski-Evans
1: got there in
0: the end Uh. and that is all we have time for this week on the aside thank you very much to Jess Kapolchinski-Evans for giving us all of your time if you would like to find out more about the Bear Brass Asylum Orchestra or the Waiting Room Arts Company you can find links in the episode description We have over 350 episodes of The Aside now, so feel free to go through our bank of episodes to find one that piques your interest. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, do not hesitate to do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com or, of course, you can find us on Facebook. Huge thanks to Halebury for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, and, of course, thank you for listening.